0: Well, please be seated. Well, good evening, everyone. I am uh, Ross, if you've not met me before. If you have met me before, I'm still Ross. I haven't changed. Um, It's really good to see you all this evening. If I've uh, not met you, I'd love to to have a chat and catch up after the service. Uh, You're joining us for our third week in the book of Habakkuk. I hope that fills you with as much excitement as I hope it does the rest of us who have been here for the last few weeks and who have been reading Habakkuk. Um, Before we crack into our uh, passage this evening in Habakkuk 2, which is on page 941 um, of your Bibles, I'm going to pray because I think we need God's help for this. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you that you have spoken by the prophets. I praise you that you have caused it to be written down and that as we read these words, we hear your voice that these words lead us to Christ, that they make us more like him. Please, Lord God, would your Holy Spirit work in us now? Would he illuminate our hearts and our minds to what you are saying? I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, if I say the name Jordan Belfort, does that mean anything to any of you? A few shakes of the head. Anyone heard of him, Jordan Belfort? I guarantee some of you have. Um, he's in the film, The Wolf of Wall Street. Now, here's some more spoilers that John mentioned earlier. I'm always spoiling films, so if you haven't seen it by now, well, you're going to find out what happens in the end. I'm sorry, I'm going to do that again. But Jordan Belfort, he's a real-life person. Uh, he's still alive. He ran a stock brokerage on Wall Street called Stratton Oakmont. You may have heard of him because he's his, his business, his brokerage was one of the fastest growing businesses in history. As he turned 26, which is the age I am, I know I look much younger, um, he was making $49 million a year. Now, for those of us who don't deal in Monopoly money, that's £35 billion. And he says that this made him really angry, because it was three shy of a million a week. And when he, he talks about was all of this legal, he says absolutely not. It was not. He was making his money illegally. You see, Jordan Belfort, he was living for his own glory. He wanted to have the best of everything, and he was willing to do anything to get it. He had anything he wanted. He had drugs. He had drink. He had sex. He had cars. He had boats. He had houses. He had everything. He was living the American dream. And people would look at Belfort and think, I want that. I want the same as what he's got. I want that glory for myself. That's how he was so successful. He was selling the possibility of glory. And people were buying it. They wanted what he had. As you watch the film or you read the book, you think, well, you know, it would be nice to... Have that much money. It would be nice to have 35 billion pounds a year. Well, I wouldn't mind a boat. I don't know what I would do with it. Um, living in Hampstead. But it would be nice to have. But if you followed the news at the time. Not all of us here are 26, Dan. Or if you've seen the film. You'll know that it all came crashing down. He was making his money illegally. He was making his money off the back of people he was exploiting. He was selling stocks that had absolutely no hope of a fair return. That he knew this, he knew that they they would fail. He would leave people financially crippled to support his own glorious lifestyle. Eventually, his assets would be seized by the US government. He was ordered to pay the money back that he had stolen from his clients. And he was sent to prison In shame. Leonardo DiCaprio, who finally got an Oscar this year, who played Belfort in the film, he said that that Jordan Belfort's life is a cautionary tale. Which it is. It's a warning. It's what like what we see in Habakkuk today. You see Babylon, the people who have been oppressing the nations, they've been building an empire for their glory. They lived in luxury. They had the choicest foods. They had the strongest armies. They had the best palaces. They were the envy of the world. They took what they wanted from the nations that they conquered. And they didn't care about the effect that that had. And Habakkuk has been struggling with this. As we heard last week, he's been wrestling with God. He can't understand how God can see their sin and tolerate it. And even appoint it. How he can say, okay, you are a sinful nation. You will punish my people, my chosen people, Judah. It looks to Habakkuk like they're going to get away with it. But what we see from this passage today, friends, brothers and sisters, is that God brings shame on those who live for their own glory. God will bring shame on Babylon. We'll see, as we see that, you'll see on your little pink handouts, which will give you a bit of a hand to know where we're going over the next few minutes, we'll see three things. We'll see that uh, God pronounces woe on sin. We'll see that Christ took the woe for sin, which means that Christians should live for God's glory. Well, now, we've heard Habakkuk has been crying out against all the injustice caused by his own people's sin, the sin of Judah. And then he was crying out at the fact that this unrighteous nation were being sent by God to punish their sin. He wonders, how can how can he let them get away with it? <clears throat> it's kind of like uh, Jordan Belfort. You know, he got this this punishment, uh, he was sent to prison, he did his time, he was ordered to pay the money back. But actually, if you visit his website, the modestly named jordanbelfort.com, you find that he's still an international speaker. He lectures people on how to be successful in business without compromising your ethics. He makes millions of dollars doing this every year. And actually, he hasn't paid back even 10% of the money that he stole. It looks like he's getting away with it. Imagine being one of his victims. Imagine you had bought into these stocks that have failed. They left you bankrupt. Imagine what that would feel like, to have that money promised back to you and then not paid. Well, there's encouragement for us, because God pronounces, for them, because God pronounces woe on sin. Look into your uh, passages. You'll see on page 941 in, uh, in Habakkuk 2 that... Um, God is giving Habakkuk a revelation, a vision. In verse 2 of chapter 2, he says to Habakkuk, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that he who reads it may run with it. The revelation, the vision, it awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end, the end of Babylon. God is showing Habakkuk what's going to happen, that Babylon is going to be destroyed. And then in verse 6, God says will not all of them taunt him, that is Babylon, the wicked foe, the personification of Babylon, with ridicule and scorn? Now, when we first read that, it it sounds a bit like school kids, doesn't it? Or if you had a a brother or sister growing up, or even if you just were a child once, which I gather all of us were. um, It sounds a bit like when someone's being punished, and uh, the person who's been hurt, they're really smug about it. Do you know what I mean? Like in uh, one of our kids clubs, I, I say, Fred, don't do that. And I take him, not, not you, Fred, the other Fred. I take him, I, I say, go and stand in the other room. And then whoever Fred has hurt sort of gives him that face, that smug face, you know, the sort of taunting face. Oh, he's getting punished and I'm not. It's, that's not what's happening in verse 6. These taunts, this ridicule, this scorn, those words, they pop up again and again and again in the Bible, primarily in the wisdom literature in Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes, to talk, to tell us that this is a proverbial saying, right? Whenever they pop up, it's always to do with, with sin and the punishments for sin, so verse 6 tells us that yes, this is going to be woe to Babylon, these, these woe oracles, they're going to be specific to Babylon, but they also have a universal meaning. It's woe to Babylon, it's also woe to sinners. Now, woe to Babylon, their, their sin is fairly comprehensive, but we've, there are three ways we can, we can summarize this. First, they pile up what is not their own. Do you see that? In verse 6, look at verse 6 with me. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. Or in verse 9, woe to him who builds his realm by unjust gain to set his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. Or in verse 12, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by crime. Did you see the progression there? They're gathering the stolen goods. They're building a house of glory for themselves. They're building a city of glory for themselves. It gradually gets more and more opulent as they take more and more from the nations. But God says, woe to them. This gathering up of stolen goods, this building of a glorious house and city for them. It won't end well. Look at verse 7. Will not your debtors, those you've plundered, suddenly arise, will not they they not wake up and make you tremble, then you will become their victim. You've plundered many nations. The people who are left will plunder you. You've shed man's blood. You've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. They used to be the plunderers. Now they're going to be plundered. They used to make people tremble, the thought that Babylon was coming. Now they themselves will be the ones made to tremble. As God's judgment is revealed against them. You see in verse ten, they've plotted the ruin of many peoples. They've brought shame on their own house. They thought they were building glory, they were building shame. Their lives have been forfeit. In verse 13, has the Lord Almighty, has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? Everything that Babylon has built, God says is going to be burned up. In the fires, just fuel for the fire. The nations exhaust themselves for nothing. Babylon piles up what's not their own. Woe to Babylon. But this sin, it's still active today, isn't it? It's piling up what's not their own. It's, it's a bit like Jordan Belfort, isn't it? The wolf of Wall Street, who makes his money by extorting people and by, by conning people. He says himself, Was it any of it legal? Absolutely not. It's the same, and God pronounces woe on this sin of piling up what's not their own. Look at verse 14. What will happen? Well, the earth will be filled not with, not with the glory of sinners and with Babylon. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. These woes are being pronounced as a judgment against sin, against universal sin. Sin. Well, second, they engage in immorality and they lead others to do the same. Look at verse 15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Babylon was known for exploiting people. Specifically here, sexually. They were known for hosting these These hedonistic parties where they would ply people with drink until they would do things they would not normally participate in. That's voyeurism, isn't it? It's for their own pleasure. Did you see that? At the end of the verse, he can gaze on their naked bodies. Again, friends, this sin is very active today. Porn addiction is on the rise. One website published that in one month, it had 4.4 billion hits. The pornography industry in America is worth $11 billion annually. That's about £8 billion. It's a problem for men and for women. One in three visitors to these websites are women. The average age of first exposure to this material is 11 years old. It's enslaving for those who watch it. It's exploitation for the actors involved. It's not real sex. It's a power play as women are degraded and humiliated in the name of pleasure. And the watchers use them for their own enjoyment. God pronounces woe on this sin. Or you may have heard in the news this week about Brock Turner The Stanford swimming scholar who was convicted of sexual assault. He met a girl at a party and they both had too much to drink. But he hasn't yet even admitted his own guilt. He says the only thing that he has done wrong is that he had too much to drink. He hasn't accepted responsibility for his sin. Though he was convicted, the only punishment that he got was six months in jail, which has not subsequently been reduced to three months in jail and probation afterwards. You see, it, it looks to his victim like he's gotten off lightly. It looks to the world like he has gotten away with this crime, this horrendous crime. But God pronounces woe on this sin, woe on this sexual exploitation. God says that they will drink and be exposed themselves. Look at verse 16. Instead of this glory, glorying in the exploitation of others, they'll be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you. They will be put to shame. They will drink the cup of God's wrath right to the dregs, right to the bottom. God won't leave this sin unpunished. Well, third, they worship idols. Babylon worships idols. Look at verse 18 with me. Of what value is an idol, since a man has carved it? Or an image that teaches lies? For he who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. We heard in in previous weeks how Babylon worshipped itself, its own strength. It worshipped its nets the means by which it conquered the nations. And it also had its own false gods made of stone and wood and metal, gods that couldn't speak or guide them. And the image here is of the Babylonians getting whipped up into a frenzy as they cry out to these gods. Look at verse 19. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to life of stone. Wake up, wake up. Because he's idols cannot give guidance it's covered with gold and silver there's, there's no breath in them their idols cannot give them security they cannot give them meaning they cannot give them purpose and that is the same today people worship things that they think will give them meaning and purpose and belonging and satisfaction but actually they're left empty and alone, and without guidance, and without security. God says, woe, woe to them. You see in verse 20, in contrast to this this clamor and this shouting, "Let's wake up, give us guidance. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. God's pronounced woe on Babylon and all the earth all the earth will stand before God in silence to be judged. So here are two applications of this for us that, that God pronounces woe on sin. The first is that sin will be punished. That is a, a great comfort to me, friends. I'm sure it is a great comfort um, to you. It is a great comfort to the victim of people like Brock Turner and of um, Jordan Belfort, whatever his name is. Anyone who's ever done wrong and looks like they've gotten away with it, anyone who has caused hurt or pain, they will be punished. They will face God's wrath. They will drink the cup of God's wrath. They will be exposed. They will tremble. They will be brought low. They will be covered in shame. What a a great encouragement to victims of sin. Second application, friends, is that God pronounces woe on us. Our sin will be punished. Let's not, let's not forget that we are guilty of the same things as Babylon. We pile up money that's not our own that we should be giving away to support our luxury lifestyles. We build our nests, houses of glory for ourselves, and think that we are invincible, that we are secure because of these things. We shed the blood of others, even just in our minds or our hearts, as we hate those around us. We engage in in sexual exploitation as we watch pornography. We engage in sexual immorality and we sleep with others outside of marriage or of the same sex we worship idols of success of wealth of prosperity of ourselves we want the glory for for me the glory that i deserve i want glory we worship idols the woes that god pronounces here the woes for us, And when we stand silent before his throne, we will be judged guilty. By nature, we deserve the eternity in hell that he has promised for those who reject him. But friends, the wonderful news of this passage, the wonderful news that we have been singing and rejoicing about this evening is that the woe is pronounced on Christ. Jesus gets what we deserve. Though by nature we deserve to drink this cup of wrath, Christ drinks it on our behalf. This passage leads us to the gospel by showing us the depths of our sin and showing us how Christ took the woe that was pronounced on us. Look at verse 7. Christ was made to tremble in the garden as he swept blood in anticipation of his death. In verse seven, Babylon became a victim of the nations. Christ became a victim of the nations. In verse eight, blood has been shed on the cross. Christ's blood was shed for us. In verse 10. Babylon forfeit their life. Well, Christ's life was forfeit, even though he did not deserve it. Babylon was shamed. They brought shame on their house. Christ was shamed as the soldiers beat him and mocked him and spat on him. In verse 11, the materials that Babylon had stolen cried out against them. Well, the Beams of Christ's cross cried out as nails were driven through his hands into the wood. In verse 16, Christ was covered with shame instead of the glory that he deserved. Christ drank the cup from the Lord's right hand, the cup of God's wrath. He drained it to the dregs so that now anyone who is trusting in Christ will not have to drink the cup. Anyone who is, has called on Jesus to be saved, there is no judgment for us now. Although glory was Christ's, he didn't grasp it. But he humbled himself to death, even death on the cross. The woe that was our due was given to him. So all who believe are justified in God's sight. What an amazing God we serve! What an utterly amazing God! What momentous news, brothers and sisters. There may be some among us who, who haven't cried out to Christ yet. Who haven't trusted in him and who are still facing the cup of God's wrath. Who are still under God's judgment. And I want to urge you to trust in Christ. Having seen where we have come from, having seen where we are, having seen our sin, which is deserving of God's wrath. We deserve this, these woes to be pronounced on us. Having seen all of that, why not trust in Christ? He has drank the cup of God's wrath already. Why not turn to him? Why not accept him? Because he will welcome you with open arms. There will be no condemnation and no woe for you. There will be eternal life and there will be love and there will be a family. All the things that our idols promise and don't deliver, Christ delivers for us, brothers and sisters and friends. Trust in Christ to be saved if you have not already. Well, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, those of us who have been saved from God's wrath, well, now. We live for God's glory, not our own. You'll see that on our sheet, on our last point. We live for God's glory, um, not for our own. Because there's no woe for us, because of the grace that God has shown us in the gospel, here are some some practical applications for how we can can turn um, from sin, for those who believe in Christ. First of all, we don't pile up what's not our own but we're radically generous because God has been radically generous to us. The first way we can do this is with our money. God has entrusted us to be stewards of the money that we've got. That means that it's not our own to pile up, it's his. We're just managing it for him. What we do with our, our money matters. When the the rich young man came to Jesus in Matthew 19, he said, What must I do to be saved? And Jesus told him, If he wanted to follow him, what he must do is sell all that he had and give it to the poor. That is a radical generosity. That's a radical following, isn't it? He doesn't, and we're usually quick to caveat that, aren't we, by saying that it's not a universal truth and. The man's not buying his way into the kingdom, but that was his particular sin, the thing that he had to lay down before he came uh, to trust in Christ, to depend solely on Jesus and his grace for salvation. But brothers and sisters, if you're, if you're like me, and you hear Jesus command the young man, sell all you have and give to the poor, and want to hear that caveat, well then we need to hear his command again. I always want... To hear the caveat, I always want to excuse myself from that command. To give all that I have. To use what God has given me for his glory and, for not, my, and not for my own. So friends, let's not pile up our money. Let's not, let's not use it for our glory and our own empires. But because of the grace that Christ has shown to us on the cross. Because he's been so radically generous with his grace. Let's be radically generous with what he's given to us. The second thing is, is the gospel. Let's not pile up the gospel um, for ourselves. But let's be generous with it. God has entrusted this message to us, not just for us or for people like us, but for all the nations. For the Jordan Belforts. For the Brock Turners. For the people beside you on the bus. For your co-workers and your family. This is for, this is for everyone this good news of salvation in Christ. So let's not pile it up for ourselves. There's a magician, um, that, an American fella, that some of you will have heard of, from the, the, the double act, Pen and Teller. They're quite good at magic. They're on TV quite a lot. And um, Penn Gillette is an atheist, and there's a video of him on YouTube. I encourage you to look it up later. It's quite good. And he's talking about how after a, a show one night... Uh, a man from the audience came up to him to, to proselytize, to evangelize, to share the gospel with him. And he gave him one of those little, um, the, the red uh, Gideon's New Testaments, you know, with the, the New Testament Psalms. He gave him one of those, and uh, he said to him, you know, I'm, I'm really impressed with the show. I thought you were really good, but um, I'm sort of evangelizing, I'm proselytizing you. know, I'm encouraging you to to come to Christ. And I like Penn Jillette, he says in his video, you know, I, I know there's no God. He, this didn't convince him to become a Christian, but he makes another point, One which is, well, it's, it's, so, it's very pointed. He, he said, if you believe, he said, I don't respect anyone who doesn't do what that man did. If you believe that there is eternal life or that there's a hell and that I might be going there. Well, how much would you have to hate somebody to believe that? and to not tell them. If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that there's a truck coming towards you and it's bearing down on you, eventually there's a point where I'm going to tackle you. It doesn't matter how awkward it's going to get. See, Pendulet, he's an atheist, and he gets it. The grace that God has shown to us in the gospel, we should, we should show that we should pass that on to other people, brothers and sisters. Christ has saved us from our sins. We must share that message with others. The third is, is our gifts. God has, has given each of us gifts to exercise. Now, some of them will be, will be very obvious. You know, maybe you play in the music group, or you, you lead, or you uh, read, or you pray, or you cook. But some of them are less obvious. Our brother Mark is up doing sound. There are people who come to, to do set-up and clear-up. And, and there are people who serve in various other unseen ways. But God has given these gifts to us. To help us to build His church, to build glory for Himself, not for us, for Him. In His grace, He has given us these gifts, so that we can work alongside Him to build His kingdom. So let's let's not pile them up for ourselves. Let's not come to church just to consume. Let's exercise our gifts for the building of God's kingdom. And for the building up of believers. The saving of the lost. We don't need to pile up these things for our glory. Because, well, do you see in verse 14? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's God's kingdom being extended over all the earth. As the waters cover the sea. That's the kingdom that God has invited us to be part of. So we don't need to, to build these things up for ourselves. Because God's glory Well, we get to share in that. The second um, principle for us, brothers and sisters, is don't engage in immorality, but be holy because God is holy. You see, we we talked earlier about the immorality of Babylon. In verse 15, we heard about them encouraging drunkenness so that they could exploit people. And drunkenness is something which is, is so easy to get involved in. If you're like me, you play on a rugby team. It's something. It's part of the culture. It's part of how you get to be in the in crowd. You know, after the match, everyone's doing pints and and one more and one more won't hurt, Ross. Or it's a, it's a drink, one one more, in your work social circles. You want to be on the inner circle. You want to be in with that crowd. And so it's one more, one more. It's so easy to get involved in, or to lead others into, by buying. Uh, by buying more drinks and plying people with alcohol. But brothers and sisters, this is not what Christ has called us to. He has called us out of that. He has saved us from that by his grace. He has, he has given us his holiness and his righteousness. And so we don't honour him if we partake in, in drunkenness. And similarly, we don't honour him when we partake in sexual immorality. If we participate in, in pornography and we ex- exploit others by watching and by enjoying. That's not honoring to Christ. It's, it's spurning the grace that he has shown us. It's something which traps us. It is not, the world of pornography is not a, a glamorous world. It's not a glorious world that it promises. Actually, it's rife with drug addiction, with sexual abuse, with alcoholism, and people who have acted in those films, well, there's a, a much higher chance of them taking their own lives because of what they've been involved in. Now, I know that there will be some here who feel trapped by this, who feel that I cannot speak of this because it's such a great taboo. But let me encourage you not not to suffer alone, not to, to to feel like this owns you. Because it doesn't. Christ owns you. Christ has redeemed you from this. So after the service, let me encourage you. Come and, come and speak to me. Come and speak to Andy. Come and speak to, well, whoever you feel comfortable with. And let me just say, if you see anyone talking to me after the service, that doesn't mean that they're coming to talk to me about this. But don't, don't suffer alone. Don't engage in, in pornography or in any other form of, of sexual immorality. Because God has saved us out of these things. Why would we want to go back. To what once enslaved us brothers and sisters. If this is the grace that Christ has shown us. If he cost him his life. If he welcomes us into his family. And gives us his holiness. Why would we want anything less? Be holy. Because the God we serve is holy. And finally. We don't worship idols. We worship The God who has saved us. Babylon worshipped idols. They worshipped gods of of wood and stone. And while I very much doubt that um, any of us have little idols of wood and stone in our house, some of us may, you know, um, I think it's much easier for our idols to be something else, some things that are unseen. I think the easiest way for us to, to worship idols is by making an idol out of God himself that we want to make God in our image rather than being conformed to the image of his son. And you see this all the time when, when churches and when Christians, well, they, they justify their lifestyles by what it says in the Bible. We'll just change the interpretation of that passage slightly. We'll just avoid that, that hard bit of teaching and that we'll make an idol out of God. He'll be like us. He'll, he'll serve us. It's the same as as what Babylon are doing. They're making gods. They create their own gods and look to them for guidance. You see this in in churches that teach the prosperity gospel, that if you're a Christian, well, you're guaranteed wealth and health and success. Pastors like like Joel Osteen and and, uh, Creflo Dollar, who are making millions from exploiting people's vulnerabilities by promising them the hope of glory In exchange for their money. Well, Christians, we we don't do this because the God who has saved us, well, He is in His holy temple. He is the Lord of the heavens and the earth. He has saved us from our worship of idols so that we could worship Him. So let's worship our God and not idols. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we're sorry for our sin, for which we rightly deserve your justice, your judgment, the woes that you've pronounced here. But we praise you, Father, that for those who have trusted in Christ, there is no woe, that Christ has has drunk the cup of your wrath right to the bottom, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Father God, please change us by your Holy Spirit. Please make effective in our hearts what we have heard tonight. That we might bring more glory to you. That we might not pile up what you have given to us for ourselves. That we might use what you have given to us for your glory. That we might not partake in immorality, but would walk in purity and so be a witness for your greatness. Father, we repent of our our worship of idols. We want to worship you, the true and living God who has saved us. Please change us, Father. Give us the grace um, to do so. Please make us a church who love you and who serve you and who proclaim you to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.